Well, welcome to our uh, Wednesday night service. This is a significant day. A new president has been sworn in by the time you watch this. And uh, we need to pray for him. And uh, understand that whenever we look at things as kingdom citizens, I know we're all Americans and we have our different viewpoints and all of that, but you and I as believers are called to go higher much, much, much higher, and look at this through the eyes of uh, God. And how do we do that? Well, we, of course, go to his word. And remember that in Romans 13, the scripture is very, very clear that there is no authority and no one in authority except by God. And so uh, we remember what Paul told Timothy, that we are to pray for kings and all in authority. And, you know, it is a little bit different in the United States because who is the authority here? Well, it's really not President Biden or anybody in Congress or in the Senate. In fact, they represent us. The leaders of our country, well, you're looking at one of them, and you're one of them as well. And that's why we need to be good stewards of the freedoms that we have And that's why we need as Christians to look above and to see that God has a plan. He rules and he reigns over all of this. Nations rise and nations fall at uh, his command. And uh, there's a purpose in all of that. But we rise above that because we are citizens of heaven, citizens of the kingdom of God. And I think sometimes we... uh, tend to forget that. So um, that's my reminder. We need to be praying and we need to be living as Christians and uh, have our loyalties in the right place. And I believe me, I understand that that is difficult to do sometimes. Um, I was talking with Chelsea and Jeremy one time and um, I can't remember if they were still living in New York or not. But uh, as they were talking about their friends, obviously up in New York, that's a much more uh, liberal state than Oklahoma. And it was interesting that everything that conservatives in Oklahoma were afraid of about a Biden presidency, their friends in New York were afraid of a reelection of Trump for the very same reasons. And our country right now, I think with this election stuff and all the polls and everything, I mean, we're, we're really, really close to this 50-50 thing. And uh, both sides are saying the same things about the other sides, into the Republic, into the Constitution, into the Bill of Rights, all of those kind of things that go on which means the devil has done a really good job of sowing seeds of fear into everyone. No one is just really happy or comfortable. There's always some degree of concern or fear uh, about the other person. And I think that in previous decades of my life, that while there would be policy differences between Republicans and Democrats, there was still the same commitment to the nation, to uh, the Bill of Rights, 
that type of thing. And if you go back to previous wars, like the greatest generation in World War II, once they got into war mode, they didn't really care nearly as much about who was a Republican or who was a Democrat. They united together. And uh, we don't really see that now because fear has a tendency to divide. Fear has a tendency to cause us to pull back. For example, if you're driving along the road at night and you see someone that their car is broken down, they have a flat tire, if you are afraid, if you're in a tough part of town or maybe in a, a city or a part of the country you don't actually live in, you're passing through, you're hesitant because of fear to actually help. However, if it's in your neighborhood on your block and you look and you go, oh, that's Joe, and you realize he has a flat tire, you don't hesitate to stop. And I think what fear does is it pulls us apart, causes us to kind of go in ourselves and withdraw, and um, it ends up not being good. And that's why the Bible says things like, fear not, because when the angels show up with the shepherds, the fear would cause the shepherds to pull back and not be open to what the angels are saying. When you uh, think about God has not given us the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind, it makes a difference. Your thinking is changed by either fear or the lack of fear. You see what I'm saying? And when you look today at a nation that is where we, we really don't think that the other side has anything good to offer, and uh, that's conservatives and liberals and all of that that goes with it, what happens? It's hard to dialogue. It's hard to talk. It's hard to see any value. And I think for Christians, it's hard for us to remember that we are kingdom citizens and that we are called upon to pray for kings and all in authority. And so um, with that kind of a scattered introduction, um, I want to ask the question, are you afraid of the, of the new administration? Are you fearful? Are you walking in faith? Or are you walking in fear? Is the enemy using this situation to rob you of the time that you have? None of us have the promise of tomorrow. And as of today, nothing or very little has changed. And I would hate to waste today because of fear and then have either the Lord return tomorrow or maybe the Lord calls me home tomorrow and the last day that I had on earth was not really lived in faith, not really lived for his glory, and it was lived in the paralysis of fear. Does that make sense? And so I want to just challenge you to live every day as though it were your last, because indeed it might be. And don't let anything rob you of the joy of the Lord, which is your strength, and the confidence that you have in the God who rules and reigns over the universe. Okay, with that said, we're back into Psalm 33. Isn't this amazing how this all worked out? 
We're looking at verses 10 through 12, just three verses. But think about how relevant they are to today and the times that we live. As current as today's newspaper, right? The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord, this is a contrast, stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he has chosen as his own inheritance. You know, whenever you stop and think about a person uh, that achieves greatness in terms of maybe they're elected to Congress, maybe they become president or vice president of the United States, and you think about everything it took for them to get there. Billions of dollars, right? Uh, a lot of endorsements, a lot of people working behind the scenes, a lot of events, a lot of media, every, everything like that. And everything kind of has to fall a certain way in order for a person to be elected. Uh, there are some times when we might see someone, a, a candidate, and they are perfectly capable. They're uh, maybe extremely intellectual and uh, they have experience and everything on paper looks really good, except they just don't quite come across right in media. And they just, their campaign stalls and it fails. They may have even been a front runner at one time, but they stall and they fail. Think about everything that has to happen in order for someone to make it to uh, the top office in the land. And think about all of the things that they have to be ready to do and ready to answer for. And they have to persuade and they have to pull people in in order to get all of that across. It's uh, kind of amazing to think about what all has to come together. 2020 was certainly uh, uh, an anomaly, wasn't it, in terms of that. But the psalmist wants us to know that whoever you are and whatever you achieve, and um, he may have been writing here not so much about Israel's leaders, but writing about um, some of the threats to Israel, the uh, other people that are out there who want to destroy the Jews. And he says to them that, number one, the Lord is not passive. Now, why would I want to make that point? Because I think a lot of times it feels and it seems like God is way off watching from a distance and every once in a while if we do things right and if we pray enough and if we are passionate enough about what we are wanting God to do he gets up out of his easy chair and comes over and kind of checks out to see what we want and to see if he's going to do it or not is that your view of God the scripture says that the Lord and notice this is a present tense verb brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes 
the plans of the peoples of no effect. Notice when he says that he's doing that now. Now why would that be important? Because whatever it is you think of our current situation in America, I promise you, I promise you, whether you liked Donald Trump or whether you uh, hated him, whether you liked Joe Biden or whether you just despise everything he stands for, you know what? There are worse. There are much worse uh, out there. And when you think about everything that the much worse politicians and the much worse people would do if they could if they could then our nation would be toast in a hurry but God preserves us and sometimes God gives us leaders and he gives us for lack of a better word rulers that we don't particularly want and that we won't particularly do well under but he's doing it to teach us a lesson Sometimes it may be divine discipline. Sometimes it may be divine favor, depending on your perspective, right? Uh, but when you think about it, it has to be God. And the much worse politicians, policies, all of that that are out there, what keeps them from ever being put into place? It's because the Lord is actively working. And what is he doing he puts a stop to some of these things. And he says, no, you're not going to do that. And that'll never happen. Um, you can go back and look at the uh, campaigns of presidents. It's kind of an interesting thing to look at and see what was the hallmark while they were running for office of what they wanted to do. George W. Bush, I remember one of his big things was he wanted to privatize Social Security, at least part of it. Did he ever do that? No, there was a little thing called 9-11 that changed his entire presidency and his entire agenda. Oh, there were some, a few things that held on, but nothing to the extent that he had, um, had run on. When you think about some of the things that could happen, we look and we see Mr. Biden and um, we think about some of the things he wants to do. And if you're a conservative, as I am, you look at that and go, oh, that's not going to be good. We're going to have some hard times. Someone asked me just the other day after watching our live stream, said, how much longer do you think the church will be allowed to broadcast like that? Because high tech and big tech, as they're calling it, is starting to uh, censor some people and some things, even the President of the United States. I don't know. I don't know. But I do know this. There are people out there right now that would shut down what we're doing today if they could. And notice that last part of it, if they could, is big. Because it may be that God Almighty, whenever they start to move, he puts his hand out and he says, no, this is as far as you're going to go. And there are things economically, there are things that happen in terms of, of war and diplomacy, all kinds of things that the Lord can bring up or shut down any time that he chooses. And when you think about the people and what they want to do, what their plans are, 
Well, the Lord laughs because they don't even know if they're going to be alive tomorrow. They don't know if they're going to get everything they need tomorrow. They don't know if everything's going to work out in the next vote or the next election or anything like that. And so we need to stop and we need to rest in all of this and understand just how important that is. The Lord is not passive. And there are some things he may allow. He may be finished with America. This may be our last gasp of life. And if so, there's really not much we can do about that. We can fight it. We can oppose it. We can pray against it. But if that's the Lord's will, it's going to happen sooner or later, isn't it? It may be that God is just correcting some things. The Lord may take us through some times that we don't particularly like so that we learn not to take things for granted. And we learn to really pray and to pray fervently. We learn to be the kind of kingdom citizens we ought to be so that we can be the kind of citizens of the United States that we ought to be. And it might be that God is just going to teach us about his sovereignty. The Lord is not passive. Secondly, truth is stronger than lies. Now that's a kind of a hard statement in these days because it sure seems like that the lies are stronger than the truth. Seems like people believe the lies more readily than they believe the truth. But the Bible is clear that the counsel of the Lord stands forever. Stands forever. Not just when the polls uh, see the Lord and his morality or his wisdom as being something that is popular. There are times. There are times when uh, you can look at American history and uh, when you look at God and what his word says that it's more in favor than it is at other times. We're kind of in a difficult time right now, aren't we? But yet the Bible tells us, regardless of what man thinks, regardless of what you think, regardless of what I think, the counsel of the Lord stands. And then he adds this one word to really put it in perspective. Forever. Everything else comes and goes. Everything else is in or it's out. It's hot or it's cold. It's favorable or it's unfavorable. And uh, about the time we say, no, we're in a good time right now. It'll be this way forever. Hang on, it'll change. Sometimes it changes for better. Sometimes it changes for worse. But the psalmist wants us to know one thing for sure, that God, this one who has created us, the one who is omnipotent, the one who is omnipresent, the one who is omniscient, what he says it goes, and it does that because his will and his counsel is perfect in every situation. Now, we try to change it. We try to, to mess with it. The Bible is very clear. God is the creator. Well, we try in our society to do everything we can to get rid of God and get rid of a creator. 
The Bible says he created us male and female. Have you noticed the gender controversy? It used to be just gender roles. Now it's actually gender is controversial. I mean, it's everything that God has said and everything that God has decreed. We're trying to monkey with it. We're trying to change it. We're trying to get around it. And um, it doesn't really matter whether it's a gospel. We want to change it. Whether it's morality, we want to change it. Life principles that have worked for thousands of years, we want to change it and try to do it uh, differently. And yet it says that his plans, they stand forever and the plans of his heart to all generations. That would include this one. And I know the Bible is an ancient book. And I know the church is an ancient institution. And yet it stands generation after generation after generation after generation. And the only way life works, the only way we have true success, the only way it is that we have true peace and true joy is to do things God's ways and not try to change it and do it ours. Pagans change on whims and they change rapidly. Here's a new God. Here's a new goddess. Here's a new way to worship. Here's a new temple. Here's a new moral thought, moral idea. But yet God's ways stand forever. Thirdly, now understand this. Individuals turn nations to God. Individuals do that. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great if America today would just suddenly turn to God? Well, how are we going to do that? How's that going to happen? I mean, we, we make those kind of statements, but we don't really think a lot about them. How's that going to happen? Congress going to pass a law and get the president to sign it, and now it's the law that Yahweh is the God of America. Well, first of all, I don't think that's going to happen. And secondly, even if it did, I don't think it would change much. I think it would be a nice gesture. I think it would be a step in the right direction, but it wouldn't really mean a whole lot. Why? Because nations don't have souls, and nations don't really repent. Listen, listen. When Jonah preached to Nineveh, who was it that turned to God? You say, well, Nineveh did. No, the people in Nineveh did. The individuals that made up the city of Nineveh, they listened and they repented and they turned. See, that's why we're making this point. If God is ever going to be the God of this nation and we are going to be blessed because of that, it's not going to be because of Congress. It's not going to be because of the president. It's not going to be because of governors or mayors or anything like that. It's going to be because you have turned to God. It's going to be because people like you have turned to God. It's going to be because people like us, we're witnessing, we are telling other people, uh, about the ways of God, and we are demonstrating that because we live by faith and not by sight. It's going to happen because person after person after person after person in the United States begins turning their life over to God, 
turning their heart toward God, believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ as the payment for their sin, and furthermore, becoming disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ and learning how to live by his life principles and making those changes in their life and then teaching others who were coming along behind them how to live in the work and the ways of God. You see what I mean? There was a man named Jeremiah Lamphere, and in the uh, mid-1800s, he got burdened about the moral state and the spiritual state of America. Even back then, they had sin, didn't they? And he started taking his uh, lunch period. He worked in a, uh, I believe he was in a construction company, and uh, he would take that time, and he would go over, and he began to pray. Someone noticed and said, where do you go every day during lunch? And he said, well, I go across the street. There's an empty building over there, and I spend some time in prayer. And this person says, would you mind if I join you? And pretty soon, Jeremiah Lamphere had two people praying with him. Other people began to notice. Soon there were four, and then there was eight, and then there were 16, and uh, it began to multiply. And it's called the prayer revival of, um, if my mind is working right, 1859, I believe. And it literally swept the nation. Why? Because one guy, one guy said, I'm burdened to pray. Didn't matter if anybody joined him or not. See, too often we think that if we say, we're going to get together to pray and nobody shows up, then we're off the hook. Not so. Not if it's really from the Lord. And then we forget sometimes that the way a nation turns to God is when individuals turn to the Lord. And all of us are individually accountable. It's up to you. It's up to me to pray, to witness, to be faithful to church. It's up to us to make sure we put our money where our mouth is, right? It's up to us to repent whenever we're wrong. It's up to us to walk with God. Micah 6, 8, He has shown thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. And it's got to be all of us. It's got to be every Christian. It's got to be every member of the church. It's got to be every person in the family. We've got to strive for this, and strive for excellence, and to walk with the Lord and to walk humbly with him in everything that we do. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Nations don't repent. Nations don't have faith. But people do. And so we've got to uh, think about this. You're either having a positive effect or a negative effect on other people and upon the nation. In your morality and ethics and prayers and your commitment to God and his church and also in evangelism and discipleship. It's not just the pastor and the church staff's job to evangelize or make disciples. That's clearly in the Bible something that everyone is supposed to do. And if there's anything America needs right now, it's for people like you and people like me to do it, not because we have a title, not because we have some type of a, maybe a paycheck or something like that, but simply because 
We are citizens of the kingdom and we care about the glory of God and we care about the souls of men, women, boys, and girls. Let's get after it. You're afraid of the new administration? You're afraid of the changes? Well, the fourth thing and the last thing we'll say is that God can start a revival whenever he chooses. Notice that the last verse says, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. You know what that tells me? God's the one who's in control of governments, of nations, of the world. He's also in control of churches. He's also in control of you and in control of me. And I would like to be the person that if God says, I want to start a revival, that I could say, I'm available, and that my life would be the kind of life where he could start a fire now that could not be put out. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, he was a tremendous preacher of ye must be born again. And in the early days of the United States, the churches were cold and dry and formal and dead. And he would preach, you must be born again, like Jesus said in John chapter 3. Well, the churches, especially the Anglican or Episcopal churches, they didn't want him preaching in their churches. So he went out into the fields and he would preach and large crowds would gather around him. And someone asked him one time, Mr. Wesley, how is it that you attract so many large crowds? Here's what he said. I let the Lord set me on fire and the world comes to watch me burn. Wouldn't it be great if the Lord would set us on fire so that our community around us, so that our friends and neighbors, our relatives, our family members would come to watch us burn and watch us burn brightly for Jesus and for the glory. After all, we belong to him and we are his inheritance and he can do whatever it is that he wants to do. We need to be soldiers. I want you to think about the fact that Egypt was never the same after Moses showed up. Babylon was never the same after Daniel arrived. Nineveh was never the same after Jonah's teaching. And so God is the one who chooses the time and the way that he will work. And we need to be able to say like Isaiah, here am I, here am I, send, send me. There is uh, a poem I uh, ran across. Some of you who are older would probably uh, remember it. It predates me. I'm going to close with this. Give me a couple of more minutes. I am a soldier in the army of my God. The Lord Jesus Christ is my commanding officer. The Holy Scripture is my code of conduct. Faith, prayer, and the word are my weapons of warfare. I have been taught by the Holy Spirit, trained by experience, tried by adversity, and tested by fire. I was drafted into this army, and I am enlisted for eternity. I will not get out, sell out, be talked out, or be pushed out. I am faithful, reliable, capable, 
and dependable. If my God needs me, I am there. I'm a soldier. I'm not a baby. I do not need to be pampered, petted, primed up, pumped up, or picked up, or pepped up. I am a soldier. No one has to call me, remind me, write me, visit me, entice me, or lure me. I'm a soldier. I'm not a wimp. I am in place saluting my king, obeying his orders, praising his name, and building his kingdom. No one has to send me flowers, gifts, food, cards, or candy, or give me handouts. I do not need to be coddled. I do not need to be cradled. I do not need to be cared for. I do not need to be catered to. I am committed. I cannot have my feelings hurt badly enough to turn around. I cannot be discouraged enough to turn me aside. I cannot lose enough to cause me to quit. When Jesus called me into his army, I had nothing. And if I end up with nothing, then I will come out ahead. I will win. My God has and will continue to supply all my need. I am more than a conqueror. I will always triumph. I can do all things through Christ. The devil cannot defeat me. People cannot disillusion me. Weather cannot weary me. Sickness cannot stop me. Battles cannot beat me. Money cannot buy me. Governments cannot silence me. And hell cannot handle me. I'm a soldier. Even death cannot destroy me. For when my commander calls me from his, this battlefield, he will promote me and then allow me to rule with him. I am a soldier in the army. I'm marching, claiming victory. I will not give up. I will not turn around. I am a soldier marching heaven bound. There, here I stand. Will you stand with me? And the author is unknown. And I like the sentiment because it takes the truth of who we are in Christ and it takes it and it personalizes it that this is not a game and the stakes are high and they're higher now maybe than they've ever been in our life. But they're still not greater than the God that we serve. So we started out in Psalm 33 saying we need to be the rejoicers, don't we? And we need to do that because of what we saw today. Our God is in control. He's taking care of us. He's guiding us through this. He's going to use us in this. Let's be faithful soldiers for our king. May the Lord bless you today. Have a wonderful week. And um, we'll look forward to seeing you on Sunday.